Good morning, everybody. Welcome this morning to Lighthouse Bible Church. Let us begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you make all things new through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that when we were dead in our sins, you made us alive through the work of Christ on the cross, by grace through faith. We thank you, Father, that you raised him from the dead. And we thank you, Father, that you have had ambassadors, missionaries ever since that go out into all the world and preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, today we do in particular want to pray for the people of Pastor Adam's community as they battle a virus that's that's settled in there. We pray that you would um, heal them and protect them. Father, we also pray for all the needs of the saints, particularly those of our congregation. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's stand at this time and sing a congregation song. As I said in the prayer this morning, please do keep in your prayers Pastor Adams and his congregation. Um, they've, had, they've had a virus that's been spreading, and uh, we would just ask that you pray for them and that that would be cleared up real soon. I'd also like to thank everyone for your prayers for me and my recent illness. Appreciate that very much. All right, we are going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper today at the end of our service. Also, the Healing Hands of Christ's Home. Although they are battling a virus right now, they, are, they have their new building and they're open and functioning, and we thank God for that. Finally, Pastor Kingsley is now in Johannesburg, South Africa. I heard from him a couple of days ago. We please continue to keep him in his prayers for much success in evangelizing there. Also, I want to make, make sure you guys know something else about our website. And this morning, I'm going to just talk about that first box on the, on the right-hand side. It's called 50 Things That Describe Who You Are in Christ. These are things that tell us who we are. And I would ask that you think, you look at those. Um, when I, we talk about promises of God and claiming them. Well, this is a place to get those promises from. If you're struggling with your identity in Christ and you want to be reminded of who you really are, this is what this is for. We have I point over there because we also have hard copy printed out over there of that. So I just want to make you aware of these things so that you're, you know where they are and you can um, use them. And, you, and I hope you do. All right. This morning, we are, our passage is going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. John 14, verses 25 and 26. I'll give you a moment to get there this morning. John 14, verses 25 to 26. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Jesus is saying to his disciples, the apostles, that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in Jesus' name, will one, teach you all things, And two, bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now, when you think about all that Jesus said to his disciples, that's a lot of things. If you look at the Gospels, you'll see um, what those things were. And and here, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, it will actually bring to the remembrance of the apostles and the disciples all of those things. 
and explains, by the way, how we can go to the Gospel of John, for example, and see in great detail and accuracy the specific things that Jesus said. It wasn't simply or even primarily from his natural memory. It was the memory where the Holy Spirit revealed what these things were. And so this was part of his duty. The other thing was to teach them all things. This went beyond just bringing to remembrance the things that Jesus said, but to teach them all things about who God is, who Christ is, who, what Christ did for them at the cross, what the resurrection means, who the church is, and so on. So, now, now, Jesus said this to his closest disciples. Those were the people that were with him that night. Now, included in that group were Matthew, John, and Peter. We'll get back to them. But just remember, Matthew, John, and Peter are three of the 11 that were there. We're going to see why I chose to highlight them in a little bit this morning. So, so the Holy Spirit would teach the apostles all things, first and foremost. Sure, it's natural for us to hear a passage like this and apply it to us. And by the way, it does apply to us. But first and foremost, Jesus was speaking this directly to the apostles that were with him. And so the, so the first activity of the Holy Spirit was to teach the apostles, to bring to remembrance the words of Christ, to teach the meaning of those things, to teach the meaning of things that they observed when Jesus was here but didn't understand. Going to take a look at a couple of those today. And then beyond that, new revelation that, that came from the Holy Spirit to the apostles, particularly the Apostle Paul. That's part of the all things. It's a very inclusive, expansive term, all things. So the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, teaches the apostles all things. By the way, if this hadn't happened, we would be lost because the, we turn to the Word of God. And in the Word of God in the New Testament, it's all inspired by the Holy Spirit based on the person and work of Christ and based on the meaning of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, it is true that the Old Testament as well was inspired from start to finish by the Holy Spirit. But here he's talking to those who would write the New Testament. And again, two things, that the Holy Spirit would teach the apostles all things and also bring to their remembrance all that Jesus said to them. Now, of course, you can look at, if you look at the second thing here, right, to bring to their remembrance all that Jesus said to them, that makes it clear that, that, that he's describing things that the Holy Spirit would do for the apostles because they're the ones and the other disciples who, who literally heard things that the Lord Jesus said to them. And again, if not for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to have this first generation, the apostles, have these things brought to their remembrance, have them taught the meaning, then we wouldn't have the Gospels, for example. And it's to there that we turn. We no longer have revelation, new revelation. That, that ended when the book of Revelation was finished. And that's the complete, we call it the complete canon. That's the complete 66 books that the Lord has established as his word. And so today, we don't look to anybody for getting new revelation from God. No pastor is, is authentically ever going to preach new things that aren't in the Bible. If they, if they do, then they're not ordained by God to do that. 
Okay, so we'll, we'll look at us in a little while, and we'll see that we're all of that, all of our spiritual life, all that we know, comes not by direct revelation from God, or for that matter, direct revelation of the Holy Spirit. It comes from the Word of God. Of course, the Word of God is then used by the Holy Spirit and by those individuals that the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ have called for the purpose of communication. Okay, but I'm going to put that aside because that's relative to what the Holy Spirit's work is here. Really, the, the work of the pastors and the communicators is secondary. Okay, we're not even going to talk about that today. Okay, why? Because the thing we're focusing on is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to have the Word of God revealed to the apostles, to have the Word of God written down. That's called inspiration. And then to have the Holy Spirit enlighten the believers as to the meaning. Because those things are primary. Okay, even though it's true that here I am this morning and my, my duty is to preach what? The Word of God. The Word of God, not my opinion. Not something new that nobody's ever heard of before, but to be faithful to the text of the Word of God. And so that is a gift, that is a means that the Holy Spirit uses. But the fact is that it's not only here where you're hearing. This is, this is the primary, the sort of first thing that, that the Lord has gifted us with, the communication of the Word of God. But each and every one of us, whether we're communicators or not, can go to the Scriptures, read them on our own, and then have the Holy Spirit minister to us so that the meaning is brought out of the Scriptures, whether you're hearing that from a preacher or whether you're reading it in the Word of God. That's why it's written down. That's one of the main reasons why it's written down. Okay. So the Holy Spirit in that first generation, the apostles, he brought to remembrance all the things that Jesus had said to them, all the things that we've read, for example, in the Gospel of John, where Jesus was speaking to them, teaching them, all the things that Jesus said in the other Gospels. That may, that aren't, by the way, the Gospel of John is unique in that about 85% of the things that appear in the Gospel of John do not appear in any of the other Gospels. Okay? On the other hand, you know, the other Gospels have a lot in common with one another. Okay? So, if you can understand that. In fact, if you were to read Matthew and Mark, okay, you would see a, so many parallels between the two. So many. In fact, you could, this, is, this is not exactly giving Mark his due, but in a sense, Mark is kind of like the, the boiled down version of Matthew, where, it's just list, where, he, where he's talking about primarily the actions of the Lord, along with some of the things that he said. Okay, now Luke, of course, has a different approach, because he's, the, he's a historian, and he, his task was to go back and do, do, do the historian's research, to talk to everybody who knew Jesus Christ, to talk to, talk to Paul, whom Luke accompanied, and, and, and hear the inspiration that, and, and the revelation that Paul had, given, been, had been given by God. So each of, the, each of the writers of the Gospels has a different calling. And it's a marvelous thing that we have all four, because we have the different perspectives, the different purposes of those things. Okay, and I hope my grandson can understand the importance of preaching the Word of God this morning. <laughs> We're gonna do, we did our best. We're in a small place. We may have to figure out some soundproofing, or maybe the cone of silence, for those of you who remember that. I'm dating myself. Okay, so 
Holy Spirit does these things first and foremost to the apostles. And it's interesting. As we've seen in the Gospel of John, his disciples had a lot of difficulty understanding many things that Jesus said. Difficulty. They didn't understand it. By the way, many things that happened to Jesus when they, when they, when they saw them for the first time, the only time, because there were events in Jesus, like they didn't understand a lot of that either. So, that, so they needed to have a refresher. They needed somebody, a teacher, and a reminder to go back and say, remember how Jesus said this? This is what it really meant. Remember how you observed what was happening when Jesus entered into Jerusalem and the people welcomed him as their king? Well, there were things that were going on that you didn't understand. There were, there's things that had been predicted in, in the Old Testament that you didn't latch on to. So the Holy Spirit comes after the fact and teaches them and reminds them of those things. But before Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and was glorified, when he was here on earth, his disciples, as well as many others, I mean, I mean, we're picking on the disciples perhaps a little bit this morning, but the same is true only more so, infinitely more so, of the Jewish people, okay? Those who were unbelievers, the leadership. They didn't understand, not only did they not understand what Jesus was saying, they were hostile to it. And, and as we mentioned the last time we were together, as I mentioned the last time we were together, their only hope, and this is that is, comes from the, the conviction, convicting ministry, we call it, of God the Holy Spirit. Because that's the only thing that's going to get through to the unbeliever. Okay? The only thing that's going to get through to the unbeliever and prepare their hearts to open their heart to realize that they need a Savior is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. See, we can't do that, okay? I think we, perhaps in our lives we've spent a lot of time sort of banging our head against the wall trying to get people to come to the conviction that they're sinners, come to the conviction that they are not righteous, coming to the conviction that there is a judgment coming. Now, we can certainly and should say these things to them, but we have to keep in mind that what's going on is that the Holy Spirit is trying to convict them, convince them of these things. And it's only after that has the Holy Spirit has been, has been listened to by an unbeliever that they're now ready to hear the good news. Okay? So the Holy Spirit is working. He's working among the unbelievers. He's working among the believers. He's working, by the way, not only in his teaching ministry, not only in, in his reminding ministry, but also in the very ministry of the church as a body, where he calls people to different duties and gifts, gives them different gifts in the body, and then he weaves us together, right? And, he, and he's working again in the communicators for them to study the word of God and to then communicate it faithfully. Indeed, the, the, the Holy Spirit is the, is, the, is the one who is active now in the church, with the church. Jesus, of course, is in heaven. He's our advocate, okay? His work, though, is finished on earth. His work is finished. And, and he sent the Holy Spirit. The Father sent the Holy Spirit now to continue. Remember, another advocate of the same kind, the Greek word parakletos, which means many things, translated here in, in verse 26, the helper. But it means, it means other things besides simply helping. Okay. So they had trouble, the disciples, understanding many of the things that Jesus has said to them before the resurrection and session of Jesus Christ. 
But after he arose from the dead, they would come to understand these things. And again, by the work of the Holy Spirit. What I'd like to do at this time is to go back and review two places where the disciples did not understand whether it be the words of Jesus or what happened to Jesus. They didn't understand. And they wouldn't until after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. I'd like you to turn now to the Gospel of John chapter 2. Gospel of John chapter 2. Starting in verse 18. John 2, 18. This is the first time that Jesus presented himself in Jerusalem to the Jews. Okay? And, and at that time, he's walking around the temple. And, they are to add, and he's already told them about what, who he is and what he's going to do. And they want to know what his authority is. He's already turned over the tables. He's already said, get out. these people should get out there. They're taking a house of prayer and making it into a place of business. And in verse 18, the Jewish leadership now, all right, whether it be the, whether it be rabbis or whether it be um, the Sanhedrin, the leadership, the governmental leadership, and so forth, the, the high priest, the, the religious leadership, they, they asked him a question. The Jews then said to him, "What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things?" Jesus answered them, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up." Notice, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. They, of course, were standing in the portico of the temple that Herod had built. Okay? And, and they, of course, here thought that that's what he was talking about. So did his disciples. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Verse 20. The Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? By the, that was the end of, the, of, the, of the, the conversation here. Then we have John writing himself. Okay? And this is a great example where they heard something and they didn't understand it. And it's only after the fact when John is writing the gospel of John that he can now fill in the blanks. Okay? Notice verse 21. This is after the fact. Okay? This is after Jesus rose from the dead, his session his ascension, and he's in his glory. Then John, now, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes verses 21 and 22. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. See, nobody knew it that day that he was speaking of the temple of his body, including his disciples, as we'll see in just a moment. So, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. When he said, destroy this temple, he meant the crucifixion, right? His body. It would be destroyed, and it pretty much was completely, in a sense, destroyed, buried, dead. And in three days, I will raise it up. And that's the, that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where his, he would come in a new body, recognizable, but a body that would never die. So again, verse 21, he was speaking of the temple of his body. Verse 22, so notice what, when... When? When he was raised from the dead. His disciples remembered. Can you see that? When he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered. The ministry of the Holy Spirit to, that, to those apostles was to bring to their remembrance all the things that Jesus said to them. This was one of those things. When he was raised from the dead, and not before that, 
His disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture, notice, and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now, now you might say, well, okay, so the word which Jesus had spoken, isn't that the scriptures? Well, yeah. But when John wrote this, okay, the scriptures that he had in view were the Old Testament scriptures. And so, and so what John is saying here is, is that, that, that not only did they believe what Jesus said, that he would raise up his body in three days, but they also believed the scripture that predicted that. Okay? Which, which one would assume or expect, perhaps, that they would have that scripture and have made the connection themselves, right? Uh, the, whole, the, the Old Testament says that, that, that the Christ, the Messiah, must die and be raised from the dead. But they didn't make that connection, and they wouldn't until they were under the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit to do that. In other words, quite simply, it was the Holy Spirit that brought these things to their remembrance. Now they remembered, yes, Jesus said this. He said that he would raise up this temple in three days. Now we understand. How do they understand that the temple meant the body? They didn't figure it out in their natural mind. No, the Holy Spirit inspired them or, or revealed it to them, taught them that that's what, that's what Jesus was talking about. So he brings these things to their remembrance and then he teaches them so that they could understand what he meant. They then, they believe that scripture. We're going to see what that scripture is in just a moment. One of the scriptures that he, he clearly would have used. And then they believe the word that Jesus has spoken. Okay, so again, the scripture here though is the Old Testament. The Old Testament. And the fact is that the Old Testament predicted again and again that Christ would die, that the Christ, the Messiah, the promised king, by the way, the servant in the book of Isaiah, for those who are following along in that teaching series on Thursdays, the Holy, the whole, the Holy Spirit also inspired the Old Testament, and the Old Testament predicted that the Christ, the Messiah, the servant, would die and be raised from the dead. Let's turn now to see a, a passage, a tremendous passage, that talks about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Please turn to Psalm 16, verse 7. Psalm 16, verse 7. I could have taken you to any number of Old Testament passages. For example, we'll soon come to Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. I could have brought you there this morning and you would have seen that, yes, indeed, Isaiah was also describing the death of Christ. I could take you to Psalm 22 and you would see clearly through the literally through the eyes of Jesus Christ, even though David wrote it, what would happen to him on the cross and that how he would be raised from the dead. So there are there. I could take you to many scriptures in the Old Testament that describe the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, think about this. The disciples who, who were with him and, and, and walked with him and heard him speak, they didn't understand. Think about this for a minute. They didn't understand that the Old Testament scriptures were describing his death and resurrection. In fact, after, when, after the resurrection, right after it, when uh, John and Peter came to the tomb, the empty tomb, it is actually said, I believe it's of John, that as of yet, or maybe both of them, as of yet they didn't understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Now, one of the points I want to make here is if that's true of the disciples, the apostles that walk with him, how much more true 
had, would that have to be of the people in the Old Testament themselves, right? And sometimes we say, I think a little unfairly that, how come they couldn't have seen that this was talking about Jesus Christ and His death and resurrection? Well, it's a good question, and I think that under the inspiration of the, the Holy Spirit inspired these words. So it's certainly possible, and there's certainly a few who at least had a glimmer of the understanding that, that, that there would be the Messiah, they knew who, that he would be a descendant of David, that he would come, and, that he, and then a fewer would maybe understand that he had to die and be raised. But even the 12 disciples, the 11 after Judas left, didn't understand that. But of course we do, and you have to think about why is it that we can come to the same scriptures that, that an Old Testament saint would come to, we can come to the same scriptures like here in Psalm 16 or Isaiah 52 and 53 and see clearly that it's talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not that we're any smarter than the Old Testament saints. I mean, Moses, by the way, was, was a genius, by the way. All right? It's not that. It's that we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's how. And by the way, that ministry is a gift. It's a gift. So God decided in his sovereignty that he would give us that great gift of the Holy Spirit. And it would be, a, it would be grace entirely. It's not that we in any way earn or deserve or did any works that established us as being worthy of having the Holy Spirit. In fact, it happened the moment we believed in Christ. When as yet we didn't understand pretty much anything else other than the words of the gospel that we believed. And so it's a, it's a total gift, and that's how we can understand it. Psalm chapter 16 now, verse 7. David wrote Psalm 16, okay? And it clearly applied to him, first and foremost, even though, even though ultimately it applies to the Lord Jesus Christ. It, we begin with who wrote it, right? David wrote it. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, place of death nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Now, I would submit to you that verses 7, 8, and 9 apply perfectly to the life of David. That, that the Lord counseled David. That, 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 that his, he was instructed. That the Lord was with him, was continually before him. And that, that made the heart of David glad. I mean, we have the Psalms that talk about rejoicing, right? Why? Because that applied to David. My glory rejoices, my flesh also will dwell securely. He knew he was protected from his enemies. But when we get to verse 10, something happens. When we, when we get to verse 10, this no longer applies to David. Okay, why? What does it say? You will not abandon my soul to Sheol. That means I won't die and stay in Sheol. Well, is that true of David? No, he did die and stayed dead, if I could put it coarsely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. All right, that meant that, that he wouldn't be abandoned. He would die, but he wouldn't be abandoned. 
and his body would not get to the point where it started to decay. Why? Because of the resurrection, right? That's the only way, okay? Which, by the way, is very exciting for us because we, too, will have a new resurrection, right? Just like Job foresaw the day. He said, you know what? I, I see that my Redeemer lives, and in my flesh I will see him, right? That's a great promise that, that, that Job received. And, of course, we all do, too. But you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. So again, this psalm was originally written by David. He's the greatest king of Israel in the Old Testament. And clearly there are verses in this passage that do apply to David, and we can see how they do, that, he, that the Lord did make known to him in verse, verse 11, the path of life, that David was in the presence of the Lord in the temple, and it filled him with joy, and so forth. But ultimately, David is a type of his greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I say greater son because, because Jesus Christ is infinitely greater than David. Right in his kingship. I mean, we could just list the things. He'll be the king of the whole world, right? He's God in the flesh and so forth. But so, so when I say David here is a type, however, what that means is that he's a picture, of a, a kind of a, 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 a like in a way. If you think about a building, a great building that is built, and but then you think first that the architect maybe had to build a scale model of the building. Well, that's sort of what a type means, okay? It's a, it, it is, a, it is a, an illustration, an image, but it's not ultimately what God's talking about. Jesus Christ is, okay? There are some things about the life of David that you can see have something in common with the Lord Jesus Christ, but there are many things that don't, okay? One of which, of course, is if you think about the scale model and you think about the building, Okay, this has got a certain size, but think about how many times greater is the real building. That's why he's his greater son. So David is a type of his greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here today, I, I, it may very well be that when we read this passage, and I read it and you listened to it, that you could perhaps have heard the voice of Christ. I don't mean literally, but you could hear Christ speaking these words of David. Okay? Or clearly these things were spoken and applied to Jesus Christ. And we've already went through some of that in verse 10 in particular. How do we know that? Ultimately by the inspiration, the illumination rather, of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit makes these scriptures, as it were, come alive in our hearts. And understand, there's an understanding here that, yes, this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's only by the illumination of the Holy Spirit that we can recognize this. But we also know this. We know that Psalm 16, especially verses 7 to 11, we know that this is ultimately about the Lord Jesus Christ because it's in the New Testament. Okay. By the way, one should not use the word type unless it's explicitly described 
What do I mean by that? Well, a lot of people want to want to talk about something and say, well, this in the Old Testament is a type of this in the New Testament. And, and oftentimes it's their, it's their opinion or it's their, their, they, their, their scholarship and so forth. But you should only use that word when the New Testament comes out and says it. All right. And it does in many times. Okay. For example, we're told in the book of 2 Corinthians that, that the rock that Moses tapped in order for the water to pour, that's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you see that, then you know it in fact really is. When you see a scripture in the Old Testament then quoted in the New Testament with one application over here in the Old Testament, David, and another application when it's used in the New Testament of Christ, now you know David is a type of Christ. Okay, So it's in the scriptures. Always comparing scripture with scripture that we can see these things. Well, it turns out that both Peter and Paul used this passage in Psalm 16. And they used it when they preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Very significant. Both of these things occur in the book of Acts. Okay? One of them we're not going to look at this morning was Paul when he was preaching in Pisidian Antioch. He was preaching primarily to Jews, but also what, what's described as those who fear God. It was Gentiles at the time who, as it were, hung out with the Jews, is a terrible way of saying it, but I can't think of any other way, got together with the Jews when they were worshiping in their synagogues. How's that? That's a little better. They believed in the God of Israel, but they, but they hadn't taken that next step to be, to be Jewish, okay, to have a circumcision and the other things that they had to do. But they were believers. So, so there, in chapter, we're not going to go to chapter 13, but if you were to go there, you would see Paul quoting Psalm 16, in, in the context of saying this predicted the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, of course, Peter was with Jesus in the upper room. So this directly applies to what we're looking at this morning because Jesus was speaking to those men when he said the Holy Spirit would teach them. And in Jerusalem on the Feast of Pentecost, that was the time when, when the Holy Spirit first descended upon the apostles and they came out and they were able to speak all the different languages because, they were, because it was a, a feast, and one of the three feasts in the Jewish calendar where all the men were expected, the ones who could, who were able-bodied, were expected to come to Jerusalem and celebrate it all together. And so because of that, you had people from across the, Brit- the British Empire, didn't exist, the Roman Empire, across the Roman Empire, They're they're identified in Acts chapter 2. They all spoke different languages. But when the apostles appeared before them to preach the gospel, they heard what was being said in their own language. It's a miraculous thing. Miracles, by the way, usher in something new. The new nation of Israel was ushered in by the miracles of the ten plagues and and the Red Sea being split in in two so the Jews could walk through it. That was something new. The nation of Israel was born. In the New Testament, all kinds of miracles associated with the birth and life of Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's something totally new, that God would take on human flesh. Okay. But anyway, back in, back in, in Jerusalem on the Feast of, of Pentecost, and the, the, Peter took the lead in preaching. He's preached a great gospel message. Please turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. 
This is the first recorded time when, when the apostles hear Peter primarily preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. There's so much we can learn, by the way, about how to preach the gospel from the way that Peter and especially Paul preached it in the book of Acts. There you can see, you know, pretty much whole, whole the text of a gospel message that was given. You can see that a few times in the gospels. I mean, in the book of Acts. We're looking at one now. It's in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. And Peter is speaking. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Verse 24, but God raised him up again. Then we have the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's the message of the gospel. Like Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and was raised from the dead. Okay, there it is. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him, Jesus, to be held in the power of death. And then notice verse 25. For David says of him. David says of Jesus Christ. Now, where did David speak about Jesus Christ? Well, again, several times. But now we're going to see Peter quote, guess what? Psalm 16. He's going to quote the psalm we just read. Okay? David says of Jesus, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. Here it is. Because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. What happened here? Words that were originally written by David now have been transformed in the understanding of the Apostle Peter to have been spoken about the Lord Jesus Christ. How did that happen? By means of the Holy Spirit. By means of the Holy Spirit, essentially, having Peter recall this psalm, these these verses in this psalm, then explaining to Peter, revealing to Peter what they meant and that they did apply to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then then having Peter use words to, to explain what it is that the Holy Spirit revealed to him. That's why it's interesting. Look at verse 22 again. Men of Israel, listen to these words. You see, you see the, book, the writer of the book of Acts, Luke, was, was inspired by the Holy Spirit to actually focus a little bit on the words that Peter used. Okay, Why? We're going to see. But the answer is, is because he, the, this truth was revealed to, to Peter. It's, it's in his brain. It's in his heart. But then he's called to use words to communicate what it is that's been revealed to him. In fancy language, which we'll see, he he had this revelation 
And then he, had a, he was inspired, inspiration to write the words. Revelation is that direct understanding of the truth in some manner. Inspiration is now taking that spiritual thought and then using spiritual words, they're real words, they were in the Greek language, to communicate what the Holy Spirit had revealed, in this, in this case, to Peter. Verse 29. Brethren, I may confidently say to you, regarding the patriarch David, who originally wrote Psalm 16, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Verse 30. And so, because he, David, was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, David was a prophet in addition to being a king. He prophesied that there would be a descendant who would sit on his throne and that this one would not die and stay dead, that, that in fact, he would be raised from the dead, unlike David, who would die and be buried and be in his tomb. That wouldn't happen to the descendant of David. Why? Verse 31, he looked ahead. David looked ahead. This is, this is him as a prophet now. He's looking ahead into the future and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. There it is in clear statement that what, what David had written in Psalm 16 actually spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. Old Testament, Psalm 16, actually speaks of the resurrection of the Christ. How did Peter get to understand that? The, the, the revelation of the Holy Spirit to him. That he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. And this Jesus, Christ God, raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Holy Spirit revealed this to Peter and inspired him to say the words that he spoke that day. Now, Jesus said something else in the Gospel of John. That at the time, the disciples did not understand, and they wouldn't until after he was glorified. Please turn to John chapter 12, verse 12. Something else happened to Jesus that the disciples did not understand until after Jesus was glorified. Look at John chapter 12, verse 12. John chapter 12, verse 12. On the next day, a large crowd who had come to the feast. Now here, this is the feast of Passover. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem for the last time. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, there was a large crowd, remember, because he had raised Lazarus from the dead and the word got around. They wanted to see who is this miracle worker. They took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him, and they began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now that quotation is of Psalm 118, verse 26. You can write that down. I don't have a slide for it. Okay, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That, that was the people that day speaking the words of Psalm 118. 14. Jesus finding a young donkey sat on it, as it is written, 
Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. That's Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah 9, verse 9. But look at verse 16. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. When, when they actually happened, remember his disciples are still with him. John is still with him. Matthew is still with him. And all the, all the rest, James, Andrew, all of them. But of course, I'm pointing to Matthew and John um, for a reason, okay? So again, Jesus, verse, verse 14, finding a young donkey sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. That's again, Zechariah 9, 9. For these things his disciples did not understand at the first. They didn't understand why is it that this crowd is, 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 is speaking the words of Psalm 118 to welcome this Jesus into Jerusalem. Why, is, why in verse 15, and this, by the way, is good, John, okay, is now, is now describing the significance of what was happening because Jesus was coming in on a donkey and he had sat on it. And then John comes along and says, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. This is John quoting Zechariah 9.9. And yet look at verse 16. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. Well, who, who was among those disciples that day? Matthew, Peter, and John. John didn't understand these things that day either. So how is it that he could have written verse 15? How could he have then, how could he make the connection he didn't understand? And yet now when he's writing the Gospel of John, he is, he is now making the connection. He is saying, Zechariah 9.9 predicted that this would happen. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. See, it was only after the resurrection when Jesus is glorified that John came to understand that the Messiah, the Christ, the king, okay, is Jesus. And that so that when Zechariah talked about the king on a donkey's colt, and then when John reflects on the fact that Jesus came into Jerusalem seated on a donkey's colt, he's like, aha, now I see it. Now I see that Zechariah was talking about Jesus. And again, verse 16 again. These things the disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of Jesus and that they had done these things to him. In other words, after Jesus is glorified, then the disciples made the connection. They understood, okay, here's what they're doing. Here's what they did. Okay, they, 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 Jesus was on a donkey. The people hosanna and spoke out and praised him using Psalm 118. Then they remembered that some that, that these things that had happened were written about Jesus in Psalm 118, in Zechariah 9, and that they had done these things to him. By the way, it's significant in verse 16 
that it says not until Jesus was glorified that they remembered. Why? What happened when Jesus was glorified? Yeah, the Holy Spirit came down. I don't know if you remember when in chapter 7, right, the Feast of Tabernacles, when Jesus cried out and said, you know, I'm the water of life. Right? He said, they said that, that he was talking, John again, talk, he was talking of the Spirit, but the Spirit was not yet given. Why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. They didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them until after Jesus was glorified. That's why they remembered these things. And they made the connection with the Old Testament scriptures. Because again, these things were written about Jesus in the Old Testament. They were written. We, we just saw that. However, the disciples didn't recognize it. They didn't have, as it were, eyes to see this until the Holy Spirit indwelt them. Okay, let's go back to our main passage this morning. John 14, verses 25 and 26. John 14, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Jesus said these words to his closest disciples. The Helper, the Holy Spirit. He's looking at the eleven. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Jesus spoke these things to his closest disciples. That included Matthew, John, and Peter. Now, why would I single out this morning John and Matthew and Peter? Or say it even better so it's easier to see it. Matthew, John, and Peter. We do that again. Matthew, John, Peter, and then John again. Because these were the three who wrote portions of the New Testament. And only these three, in terms of the 11 that were there that night, three of them wrote portions of the New Testament. What does that mean about the other eight? They didn't, they didn't write portions of the New Isn't that interesting? You know, we have the New Testament. Okay, and it turns out that of the 27 books... In the New Testament, the men that were with him that night only wrote eight. Why? What's the big reason for that? Who wrote 13 or maybe 14 of the books? Paul. Right. Paul. Who has a totally different story, by the way. And we're not looking at that today. But because he got, he got things revealed to him directly from the Lord Jesus Christ as well as by the Holy Spirit. And then he wrote... What, in, in, in the words of the Greek language, what had been revealed to him also. So these three, though, Matthew and, and John and Peter, would write portions of the New Testament. You might say, what about Luke? Luke wasn't with them on the night before Jesus went to the cross. You see? What about James? By the way, James wasn't, that James who wrote the letter of James wasn't with them either. We know that because the James that had been with them was killed early on, okay, before, the, before the letter of James was even written. So this was actually the, the half-brother of Jesus, James, wasn't there with him 
Okay, the night before he went to the cross. Same thing with Jude. Okay. So these three, though, Matthew, John, and Peter, would go on to write portions of the New Testament. And they would do so for one reason, and one reason only. Because the Holy Spirit would teach them all things and bring to their remembrance all that Jesus said to them. And now we have their writings in the Bible, as well as those of Mark and Luke and Paul and James and Jude. So there you have it. You want to know how we got the New Testament? Sure, the scholars can give you all kinds of... I'm going to give you a simple answer. Because the Holy Spirit inspired these men, okay, first of all, revealing to them, teaching them, and then inspiring them to write the words in the Greek language that they wrote. And so the original text, all of that was, was the work of the Holy Spirit within, in the lives and in the hearts and the minds of these men. By the way, he didn't take them over, okay? He, but he, he guided them in such a way that the words that they wrote were exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted them to write. It's sort of mysterious how that all works. You know, for example, if you were to look at the writings, though, of John versus Peter, versus, versus Paul, actually, better. If you were to look at the writings of John and compare them to the writings of Paul, they're really, really different. The scholars tell us that, that the Greek the, that John wrote the sentences and the words was very simple. Whereas the Greek that Paul writes, if you look at the Greek text, it's very intricate. And he, and he actually coins words. That was different. But both of them were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote. Okay, what about us? We've seen this morning that the Holy Spirit revealed things to the apostles, brought to their remembrance things that Jesus said, We've seen then that the Holy Spirit then inspired these men to write exactly what they wrote in the Greek language that we originally wrote in. But what about us? Well, it turns out that the Holy Spirit is also at work in us. Not for new revelation, not for us to write our own version of the Bible, all right, but rather to understand what these men wrote in the Bible. He inspires our minds because in the mind there is understanding and our hearts and our spirits to understand what these men wrote in the Bible 2,000 years ago. And that's how it works, gang. If you want to understand, and we're going to see in a minute in 1 Corinthians 2, that Paul's going to have the audacity to say that we have the mind of Christ. How did that happen? How could we possibly have the mind of Jesus Christ? Well, is it the way that Paul had it? See, Paul had direct revelation from Jesus himself. Is that, is, that how, is that what happened to us? Did we have direct revelation from Jesus? No. No. We have the mind of Christ because of the Holy Spirit's work with the apostles and the other writers of the New Testament. But then he comes on the scene for us as well. So here we are, and we have what they've written. Uh, yeah, we have it in English. But that's, by the way, no barrier to the Holy Spirit, by the way. Okay? It is better to have a good translation of the, of the Scriptures rather than a poor translation. Okay? But the Holy Spirit works with the translation, you see, because his job is to, get, to understand the meaning. Right? We, we, in another place, he talks about the Spirit of the Lord, not the letter even. So it's ultimately, he wants to get the meaning, the understanding in our hearts. 
And it's the Holy Spirit. The, the fancy word is illumination. Illuminates, allows our mind and our heart and even our human spirit to understand the Bible. I'd like to close this morning then with, with, a, with a passage in 1 Corinthians verse 2. Um, chapter 2, rather. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This describes the, the work of the Holy Spirit both with the writers of the scriptures and with us. That's why I want you to see it. It's all laid out in this brief passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter two, verse ten. You know what I'm thinking. You know what I'm thinking. Gentlemen. All right. Verse first Corinthians two ten. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Can you see that word revealed? You see that one? God revealed them to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Now, I submit to you that that phrase, to us, is not us. Okay? It's not you and I. It's, it's the apostles. For the, God revealed that revelation to the apostles through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Verse 11. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. For we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Notice the spirit is at work. so that we may know the things freely given us by God. Now, that is true of us because his work of illumination allows us to know the things freely given to us by God. But it it applies first and foremost, again, to the apostles because it was the apostle Paul who received the Spirit from God and had revealed to him these things first. And then notice verse 13. Which things we also speak. Now, I submit to you that that we remains the apostles. Okay? We speak because they're the ones who, who, who wrote the words, who spoke the words, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We, these things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. Notice, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. That is about as good a definition of revelation and inspiration as I can find in the Bible. And again, this first and foremost has to do with the writers of the scriptures. Okay? That, that the spiritual thoughts were revealed to these men and then the Holy Spirit inspired them to write the words. Okay, can you see that? Okay. Now let's go on. Verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to them. It's the unbeliever. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Verse 15. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. By the way, it's verse 15 that starts to really talk about us. Okay? 
But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Of course, that applies to the apostles and it also applies to us. Okay? What is, what, so he that is spiritual, a, belie- a believer, appraises all. That's discernment that we get from the Holy Spirit. And that discernment, first is, the first use of it is in the word of God so that we can understand these things. The discernment also allows us to be able to test what we hear and compare it with the word of God so that we can dismiss anything that's not in the word of God. All right. So let me just walk through this one more time. Paul begins with the Spirit's work in revealing these truths to the writers of Scripture. We have that in verses 10 to 12. He revealed truths to the writers of Scripture. Notice, for to us, writers of Scripture, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him. Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we, the apostles, have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Now I've taken pains, and we've got to close, to to tell you that this is the apostles and not us. Because otherwise... People could say, well, guess what? God revealed things to me through the Spirit, right? And those things are not in the Scriptures. But hey, it says here in verse 12, if us is everybody, God reveals things to us through the Spirit. Well, he doesn't. No, he, he illuminates us about the things that he revealed to the writers of Scripture, okay? And then inspired them to write the words that they wrote. And that's verse 13, by the way. Verse 13 is the Spirit has inspired the writers to to write the words in Greek. You might say Hebrews, Hebrew, but we're talking about the New Testament here. So in verse 13, these things we, the apostles, also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those words taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. So what words were taught by the Spirit. I'll submit to you, it's the Greek text of the New Testament. And that's why I want you to understand that this is talking about the apostles, not us. We don't get to write new things, right? That's why, be careful out there. Just be careful out there. You may think a book is Christian, but if you start looking at it and someone's claiming new revelation, throw it out. Throw it out. There's no new revelation, okay? There's no new inspiration. In other words, we're not called to write new books of the Bible. What we have now is illumination. Those are fancy words, but it's important to make those distinctions. You can use whatever words you want. Well, that's not quite true. But the idea is that truth was revealed to the, the writers of the scriptures, and then the Spirit inspired them to write what they wrote in the Greek language. And now the Holy Spirit takes these words and teaches us, illuminates us as to what these words mean. And that's in verses 14 through 16. Okay, so we're going to have to stop there. But I just want you to understand that the Spirit is working 
in our lives, not to write new books of the Bible, not to come out with new truths that aren't in the Bible, but simply to understand what is written, what is written in the Word of God. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this work of the Holy Spirit, because without it, we wouldn't have the mind of Christ. But we thank you that you did reveal these things through the Spirit to the writers of the New Testament. We thank you that from there, the Holy Spirit inspired the writers of the New Testament to write down what had been revealed to them, and they wrote it in the Greek language, and that was, that's the original text. And we thank you also, Father, that you have given us the Spirit in our hearts so that we may understand these things, that, that, that through the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit, we may have an understanding of what these words mean. And we ask, Father, that we would continue in our study of the Word of God, in our listening and hearing the Word of God when we gather together, so that the Holy Spirit can continue to illuminate to us what these things mean. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's now prepare the communion elements. I must confess that I didn't realize, we, like, as I was preaching, I'm looking at the time, I'm like, oh, I got a couple more. I forgot about this part. Oops. So, so I, I, I uh, beg your tolerance of perhaps a couple of minutes beyond our usual time. In 1 Peter 1, Peter writes, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would be come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which even angels long to look. When we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we proclaim the death of the Lord Jesus. We do this in remembrance of him. The Holy Spirit brings him to our remembrance. And he reminds us what happened to Jesus on the cross and why. What happened at the cross? How do we know it? Because in the word of God tells us, for example, that Jesus bore our griefs for us. That he carried our sorrows. That he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord caused the iniquity, the sin of all of us to fall on Christ. And by those wounds... We are healed. These are significant things that the Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance that we are called to to remember every time that we celebrate the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have revealed through this, through the writings of the apostles that you have given us the complete set of truths that you want us to know. We thank you, Father, that the center of it is the death and resurrection of your Son and that the Holy Spirit allows us to bring these things to our memory and that we are called to remember his death on the cross and we are called to proclaim his death and resurrection until he comes back. Father, as we leave this morning, we would just um, ask, and we know that you will, that you would give us, through the Holy Spirit, illumination and boldness to preach the gospel. But also, Father, that we would have that illumination so that our hearts can be at rest, that we can know the magnificence of the glory that awaits us, our inheritance, and we can know that our lives even are with Jesus in heaven right now. And we, th- we also know, Father, that we live these things now through believing what you have written in your word, that what you have promised, you have the ability to deliver. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, we'll convene again on Thursday. We'll have a Bible study together. And I look forward to that also. You are dismissed at this time.